Welcome to Business Drivers, the podcast dedicated to helping you be a more effective digital leader. Each episode, we connect you to leaders and ideas that unlock new growth, both professional and personal. Business Drivers is presented by Farron, and I'm your host, Jim Keen. Our guest for this podcast episode is Maura Charles. Maura is a consultant who focuses on digital product management. She also does product coaching, and she does some advising to help leaders figure out how to make important business transformations. This episode, we cover a lot of ground. We touch on organizational awareness and getting more effectiveness as a team, but also how leaders can learn to navigate through orgs. Think of, for instance, how to navigate the matrix. We talk about how it's actually possible to teach this skill. We also hit on the topic of how to talk to your team and be empathetic as the company's navigating hard organizational change events. I might also pitch this discussion as another in what might be turning into a mini-series of business drivers, that is, liberal arts people who ended up doing digital leadership. So, English, writing, rhetoric majors, here's another one. It's another case study for book nudes who made good in the world of digital. One note about the audio, we've recorded this live and in person, and you can hear the background noises of a sorta busy hotel lobby. It doesn't get in the way of the talk, though. You should be able to hear everything just fine. Finally, we're starting to plan our next season of Business Drivers, and we'd love your feedback. Tell us what you're interested in, what you want to learn more about, and what else we should be covering. Thanks so much for listening. So, Maura, tell me about the work you're doing today. I work with a lot of teams, mostly at large enterprise Fortune 500 type companies. Um, And I work with teams who are either in the middle of changing the way they work. um, And often that's that's digital work. So that would be could be websites and apps or systems that are underlying um, some kind of consumer experience. And I work with those teams again, in the middle of, of those kinds of work and while they're trying to improve the way they, they work together or optimize it. And I also help companies set that kind of system up at, from the very beginning. And are they typically change programs specifically, or is it more about a shift to a product model? It depends on the client. Uh, so a lot of um, my media and e-commerce type of clients are, are already kind of in a product model of sorts. It just may not be uh, well-defined. Right. So they may not have a playbook. They may not have uh, a philosophy about how they work, but they are in it. So sometimes it's change from within, which is we're already doing this, but we're not we're not sure that this is the most efficient way to do it. Like, how do we improve and how do we continuously improve? So in some cases, it's a zero to one. Like, let's get this thing started. And then in other cases, it's good to great. Like, let's take what you're doing and, and make it even better. Yep. Maura, how would you explain what you do to a civilian or to somebody that isn't as enmeshed in the world of digital products as you are? Well, at the heart of what I do, it's really about helping people work better, right? So that it doesn't actually matter what kind of work they're doing. Like if they're building something like a website or an app or if they're if they're building a whole content management system to run, you know, a major publication – The truth is that what I really do is help teams work better together to do those, to do that work. And so sometimes that's highly technical. It's helping them understand, you know, how to, how to work in those, that kind of technical structure. But other times it's just, you know, regular leadership, like management consulting in a way, right? Helping them understand like, this is, this is how you could be working better together. This is what's underlying some of the challenges you may be having as a team, like basic kind of, again, basic human stuff. 
If you had to boil it down to a word or two, it sounds like you'd say you're a coach. Yeah, I think that that's I think that's fair. I think I coach at all different kinds of levels, and that's where it can get confusing because I could be coaching somebody who maybe has never done what um, product management, which is is my the kind of core of my expertise. I I do have clients who want to get into product management or who they've been promoted into a product management role, but they've never done that kind of work before, and so they don't have the mindset yet, and they need they need some coaching on that. But on the other hand, I also work with SVPs and VPs who have a lot of product experience, but maybe don't have the bandwidth to help their teams perform better. And so they'll come to me and they'll say, what I really need for you to do is to like level up my team, either coach them to, to understand what good looks like, um, help them understand what best practices are, help them build like a top, you know, a great practice within the organization so that it can be sustained so that even if there's turnover or, you know, or people move into different roles, that there is some kind of framework left behind that they can use. So that's really, really helpful. And I'm guessing this is exactly what you studied in college. This is what you wanted to do when you started your career. Yeah, yeah. I studied, <laughs> um, I studied musicology and um, nonfiction writing. So this is, this is perfectly aligned to that work. Well, as a fellow liberal arts nerd, I have to ask, what are you using from your liberal arts days in the world of digital today? Like as you're kind of coaching or advising or guiding or supporting digital leaders today, how are you relying on your liberal arts skills? Um, well, I think what I learned as a as a writer was really a, a lot about storytelling and a lot about understanding kind of the nature of what's happening in any given situation. Yeah. Right. And so I think when you're digging into these transformations or, you know, these change situations, you're trying to figure out, well, what's really going on? And sometimes it's what happened before. And yep. sometimes it's where do we want to go? And so I think helping people to understand that storyline, you know, we hear all the time that storytelling stories is kind of at the core of, of leadership and being able to tell stories is important as a modern leader. And so I think being able to do that as somebody from the outside often can help these companies that can't, can't see the forest for the trees. Well, I have a little bit of a, it's a blog post that I'm starting to write about the actual literal application of storytelling tools to Great. internal corporate communications. Because I remember once I was telling an old, an old boss, like, I think I've lost the plot. Mm. And I, I didn't realize how useful of a metaphor that was. And he kind of actually took me through it. And he said, all right, well, let's talk about it. What's the narrative? Who are the heroes? Where's the conflict? You know, what are the chapters? Yeah. And he actually kind of took me through that. I'm like, oh, my God, that could actually work. Yeah. So we'll come back and talk about that. That's great. Yeah. When I first was starting to go out on my own as a consultant, I spent a lot of time thinking about that and trying to uh, trying to find my story. And, and what I found was that it was the working with teams and particularly, you know, I didn't want to do product strategy. I didn't want to actually like build products. I really specifically wanted to help teams and individuals perform better and get what they needed to perform better, whether that's shifting their mindset or actually like upskilling on something. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, we might have to do round two because I would love to hear you talk about how you help people get sort of recentered in their own story and recentered in the narrative and Ooh, I like that. kind of find themselves. Yeah. It, it is a big piece of the puzzle, right? Because they often can't, like I said, can't, can't see where they're coming from. Don't see they also don't see all the other kind of stories around them, right? So um, one of the things that I'm passionate about is kind of the psychology of all of this leadership 
stuff. And what I'm finding as I coach individuals in particular is that people don't usually understand other people's motivations. <laughs> they think they, you know, they make assumptions. Yeah. I've been told that in my own, as I've been coached myself that, you know, I think you're making a lot of assumptions there. <laughs> and so I've learned to kind of challenge, challenge assumptions. And I often challenge my clients to do that. And I think the reason is because you, again, there's so many different variables about what somebody's motivation may be. And I think there's this, this emotional intelligence concept called um, organizational awareness, which is really understanding the kind of what's what's going on in, the, in a full organization. And I think that's one of the ones that is a blind spot for so many people, particularly individual contributors or early like first time managers, because they don't know what questions to ask. They don't understand that, you know, where the urgency may be coming from, right? Where the strategy might be coming from, why maybe they've been told that this is a goal for the company, but then they are asked to do other work that doesn't seem aligned with those goals. Like, How do you teach that? Um, I think part of it is giving them examples of, of times when it's, of what it's been like in other places. And some of it is helping them diagnose it like real time. So showing them, you know, or just challenging them to think about it. So um, I was coaching somebody recently and she was so frustrated with something that was happening in her organization. And I, so I just, I sat with her and we broke it down. I gave her, I actually gave her kind of a, a checklist of things to think about. And it was, you know, kind of the different, um, like the mindset of the people around her, but also what their motivations might be, whether they had like social pressures or whether they, they had some kind of internal pressures or, I mean, you kind of go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like some of this stuff could be physical, right? You're sick, you're having a bad day. You feel, you feel you didn't sleep well and your boss does something stupid the next day because they, you know, they were tired. Yeah. So understanding human nature and psychology is actually really critical to this kind of, to every kind of work, but especially for, for product managers, I would say, and people who work in product teams, because the, the dynamics between the individuals are so critical to how well the team performs. And so if you're an individual in that system and you don't have organizational awareness, it can be really challenging to figure out what's going on. And you have to know what's going on to know what you actually really do need to prioritize and to be successful in a business. Yeah, and you can't understand why you are or are not being effective if, if you don't understand the organization in which you are trying to be effective. Exactly. And, and understanding your kind of direct manager's needs and also their manager's needs and what their motivations might be really helps. Right. So if you're, you know, I've, I've been at several companies that have been acquired, for example, and when you're in acquisition mode, everything is different and you don't as an individual contributor, because I've managed a lot of them too, they don't see all of the things that are happening in the, you know, the closed meeting rooms and things like that. And so what they don't know is a lot. <laughs> and they, and so again, they're saying, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And they're constant. There's a lot of those kinds of questions about not understanding like why an organization might make a decision. And so when I was a leader and in, in, you know, inside some of these companies, I would be very transparent with my teams as much as I could and say, there are things you don't know yet. And, you know, and just trust me, you'll have to trust me that this is the right move. So maybe it's, I don't know, replatforming a system that you didn't want to replatform right then. But they're, they don't understand why we're doing it now. We had all these other things we wanted to do this year. Why are we doing this now? And helping them ask, the like, see, you know what? There's a potential acquisition out there. Like, we're preparing ourselves. We're a publicly traded company. And we're preparing ourselves for, you know, for acquisition. There are some things we have to kind of, like, ducks we have to get in a row before we can sign that paper. And 
then they're like, okay, you know what? Fine, we'll do it. And look, I was one of those people too. I remember, I remember when, you know, asking my, my manager once, you know, being pressured to do this project and thinking it was a terrible idea. And I, and I said to her, I said, I, can you just explain? Like, I just need to understand, do I really need to do this? And she said, you really need to do this. I promise it'll be worth it. <laughs> and she was right. And so some of that is built on trust, right? And, I, and you know, trust is really important to, to business relationships to be successful, particularly between managers and their teams. But I think learning when to when to question and when to just ride the tide is really important. Yeah, boy. So you work a lot with digital product leaders or product leaders in general. Yes. Just to set the level here, pretend like I'm a, a marketing VP that has never really heard about digital products. So try to explain to me what they are and why I should care if I'm like the marketing VP. Sure. So digital products are the technologies and systems and experiences that enable your business, right? So um, it could be, a, like I said earlier, it could be a website or it could be an app. It could be all a system, an ecosystem of all of those things. The reason you care about them as products is because they need to be thought of as products rather than worked on in silos. Because if you, if you think about them as one central thing, this product as opposed to, you know, a website that could potentially be owned by 10 different verticals in your matrixed organization. There's a comprehensive kind of um, single way of looking at that product. And so it's, it's just really important to have one person with some ownership owner. We talk a lot about ownership and products. It's really important to have single points of ownership for products so that you can keep a consistent strategy and so that you can build on that strategy and you can really understand your customers and your goals. Yeah. So let me just play dumb for a second. Like, all right, I'm a marketing VP. I've got all these IT people. They've got, they keep talking to me about their portfolio of projects. Like, aren't they just getting shit done for me by getting those projects done? Uh, they are, but often they're not necessarily building the right thing. So the real big benefit of, of product management and of thinking of, you know, in a product mindset is that you're constantly questioning the status quo. Are we building the right things? Who are we building for? Is it still the same customer it was yesterday? What's changing in the landscape? And understanding all of that and aligning it with like what your business goals are or could be or should be is something that you really need in an organization. You need that one person because you can't have five different leaders owning a product and having different opinions about what it's for um, or what its core goals are, because that's how you drive value. Having one point, one point of contact there helps the company drive value from its products. Yeah. One of our clients right now at Farron is about to redo their website. Mm -hmm. The conversation's been around who's going to be the owner of this website. And the, right now, they're, they're all saying, essentially, like, we're all going to be owners. I'm like, oh, that's not going to work. Marketing, PR. I don't know who else could be in the mix, but definitely marketing, PR, comms are always in the mix there. Yeah, so this is my chance to explain to them a product mindset versus a project okay. mindset. And um, it's, been, it's been really interesting to kind of see their eyes open up. So um, the other question I would... I, I've heard occasionally when I talk to people that are product leaders, or I talk about this project to product transformation is, wait a minute, aren't we just talking about good management? What is different in a product management mindset from just straight up good management? Oh, um, 
or, or, or is it a Venn diagram where it's really There's closely overlapped? It's definitely a Venn diagram. I think, um, I think there are specific social and human skills that are more important for product than, than maybe they are for all kinds of management, um, or leadership. But I think the differentiator is understanding user experience. So, so when you look at there's yep. like there's like a traditional product management Venn diagram, right? Which is like technology, user experience, and and business goals. And so when you when you bring those three things together, and the product is right at the center of it. That's that's kind of the typical way of describing it. So understanding, being able to understand user experience and custom, whoever your customers are, whether that's an internal customer or an external customer or a prospect, is critical to this kind of management and leadership, right? Not all leaders do that. Not all leaders understand the customer. Although there are often companies, again, this is like another area of people, everybody wants to own the voice of the customer in an organization. That's a tr that's another tricky one. So, but product can can have that, but they can also understand the technology side of things. Yep. And they are also deep into the strategy of the business and what the goals are and the vision is for the business, um, kind of the desired outcomes are at any given point in time, right? And when that's changing constantly, Constantly, which it is, product management as a discipline gives you the flexibility to change and to pivot and to constantly be revisiting what your goals are, right? And so I think one of the biggest differences that I see, and particularly at, at these large companies that are used to, you know, building out a, a project-based roadmap where they've got, you know, a 12, they've got to plan their budget for the year and they are planning it probably six months before the year starts, sometimes even longer. Yeah. <laughs> and so you've got like an 18 month runway there. Something like COVID hits and your entire roadmap blows up or, you know, you, it's the entire world has, has stopped and maybe your business is, has been affected dramatically by that or not, but, the, but it's, but almost uh, many businesses were affected by something like that. And so the question becomes then how quickly can you pivot? And if you have hundreds or thousands of employees yeah. working on projects that may no longer be important to the business, it's a lot harder to mobilize them than if you have them in discrete product teams that have ownership over a particular piece of the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. You know, as you were describing that, I was thinking about it as a little bit of a shift in focus. I think a, a product management mindset is driven by consumer or user or market outcomes. Yeah. And a P&L mindset is really looking at organizational financial outcomes. How do you optimize for the organization's financial outcomes versus the bet that I think you have to make when you're a product-led org is if we get it right for the user, if we get it right for the customer, if we get the right customer outcomes, everything else will happen down the line. Exactly. And that's hard for organizations to visualize because despite the fact that they often don't measure success of projects that they are doing the, in, the, in the old school way, it's a lot harder for them to see the returns quickly on switching to this kind of product model. So one of the things that a lot of companies do is that they'll run when they do do some kind of um product-led innovation, they'll actually do it as some kind of incubator within the company or pilots that they can, you know, they can test it out in a certain number of areas so that you can get some learnings and get some wins and use that as an example for the rest of the organization, right? And yep. so, I mean, many companies have been doing this for many years. Um, some are just starting it. But, um, you know, I was at a publishing media company many years ago with that was doing this and they did it with one brand. They took one one of their media brands and they started there 
and we took all of the engineers who were all on one floor at that point, and we brought that brought a few of them onto a team and to a cross-functional team. So we had a product manager, we had a lead engineer, we had other you know additional engineers, we had somebody from editorial who was actually a representative on that team, and that team tested out the concept and experimentation and a culture of experimentation is so important in these product organizations yeah. because again, you're trying to prove little things all the time. You have hypotheses and you want to prove out that you might be right without spending a million dollars every time. And so a big part of that shift is yes, it will eventually help affect your PNL and you, we can't tell you how yet. We have to try some things. We have to test the waters and we're going to try a few things and then we'll figure out what the big rocks are and where we want to invest. And maybe now you're investing in teams rather than projects and you're investing in the in, in products that these teams are managing, right? And so if you find out that one in particular product is really profitable, yep. then maybe you invest more there. Yeah. Or maybe you, um, you know, that's where you put your superstar employees because you know you need, you know, you need some really good talent to drive that forward. Or maybe that's where you expand it into multiple product teams because, um, you know, they've proven that this is, this is where the, the bang for the buck is. Yep. So as you're coaching people to move into this model and be effective in this model, how are you teaching them what to forget about the old way of doing things and the new things to adopt? So give me an example of like an old mental model or an old management or leadership habit that needs to get dropped so that somebody can be effective as a product leader. Um, well, I think timelines. Number one is timelines because everybody wants to know when you're going to deliver something in the old model yep. and you cannot know that in this new model because you don't know what you're building yet. So, um, for example, if you're shifting from this in a zero to one model and you're, you're starting from a company that has maybe hundreds of projects every year that they fund, they now don't know they have, first of all, they have to look at these hundreds of projects that were planned and decide if they're going to continue with any of them. If any of those will become features or epics or, you know, things that, that, that are going to be part of this, these product teams, But we really, and I strongly advocate for a kind of roadmap that's not necessarily even quarterly, but more of like a now, next, later. So, um, and that's how I organize all of my life now. I have Trello boards that I use for, you know, what I'm going to focus on right now, which means like maybe today or tomorrow. Um, And next is, you know what, when I have time, I will get to these. And then later is I might do this stuff later. This I think is what is important now. Later is like, we think that's going to be important. It's not important now. We will either get to it or we'll decide that something else is happening. And so you're constantly moving that stuff kind of across your board, right? And it's um, it makes it a lot easier to move things into the now that might be more important to the business at any given point in time. And that's, the I think, the hardest thing for people to get their head around is, but I don't know when I'm going to be delivered. Somebody, some, one of my clients the other day, somebody said something like, well, how are we going to know what they're doing? How are we going to know what these teams are building? And it's like, well, you'll know when they release it and it helps your customers. Yeah, you'll look at the backlog. So it's interesting that you are talking about, you know, moving to the left, moving to the right and sort of the Trello boards and the backlog. I just I'm literally today I'm wrapping up an engagement with a client where. I think the most valuable thing that they'll take out of, well, I got to be careful how I say that. (laughs) One of the valuable takeaways is that mental model of a backlog. Mm -hmm. And that idea, the other piece that came out of it was the idea of 
we'll get to it in the next sprint or we'll consider it in the next sprint. And, and uh, they were really troubled by not having a super granular 18-month roadmap. And their leadership was concerned, like, where's all of the rest of the stuff? And so we had to teach them this idea of, like, it's all there. It's on the board. We know it's important. We've got it sized. We have a sense of importance. But we can't get to it all right now because we only have enough cycles to get through this next sprint. And that that's a whole different mindset. It is. It is, and it relies a lot on um, an agreement about how companies prioritize their work or how teams specifically yeah. prioritize their work. And one of the reasons that I advocate so much for experimentation and for trying small, you know, small pieces of things, building MVPs and really getting some small pieces of functionality out there is if you can figure out, if you could measure, if you have data that shows that something small is or is not valuable, then you know what you need to build next. And again, you know, it's not useful for a company to know exactly what a team's going to deliver if the software that they're going to deliver is useless yeah. or does not help the customer or is an incremental improvement after millions of dollars of investment. I've seen I've seen that time and time again where they build something, a team builds something, and they say, oh, we thought this is what the customer wanted, but actually it turns out that they really didn't. And you're like, what? How did how does that happen? And so one of the questions I get a lot when I'm talking to to clients or prospective clients is like, how do I keep that from happening again? How do I keep my team from building things that are not helpful, that are not useful, that are not viable or valuable? And this kind of mindset about road mapping is usually at the root of that. But the prioritization stuff is tough because everybody has different ways of thinking about what's important. And I think we talk a lot about team agreements and and helping helping teams kind of decide like well what are we going to use for our let's say prioritization rubric right like what are the things that we that we think figure into this weight and then you can have some kind of data that's not isn't kind of affected by personal feelings, right? You can say, you can say, you know, cause there's always like the, I have a gut feeling that this is, that this is right. Well, okay, great. Let's turn that, that gut feeling into some kind of data that proves that there might be value there. So what are those, what are those things for your business? And they're different. They're, they're very different in different businesses, right? And so, and also with different kinds of customers. Yep. And so tying back to an earlier thing that you mentioned a, a little bit ago, part of the benefit of a product centric model is that if you're data-driven and outcome-driven, you can be focused on building the right things at the right time, and you're not building things because somebody three levels up said, I want it this way. Oh, yeah. My favorite thing to do is to convince <laughs> to convince a leader that the thing they wanted to build is, is actually not the right thing. And for them to have some humility and to realize that, you know what? There is some there is some value. You just saved us some money, and you know I loved doing that as an internal employee too, because obviously that you you know that's a great way to prove your value to to leadership is to say, I know we think this is the right thing to build, but let's let's just challenge that. Let's play it out. Let's let's talk about what the other things are that are that are potentially the things that we might work on or build this year, and let's check our assumption again. Is that, is that really the thing we want to invest our time in? This is how long it's going to take. One of the things I really love doing with teams is like estimations, t-shirt sizing, right? So small, medium, large, extra large, if something's an extra large and you know that there's not going to be a ton of return on it, it's really easy to start to say no to that kind of work once you flip to this model. Yeah. 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 As you're teaching people how to be more effective leaders in general, and in some cases specifically about product leadership, what is a lesson that you have to keep teaching over and over and over again? Like a, like a personal leadership lesson. 
not like how to how yeah. to get the org going, but like as an individual who's trying to make that happen, what is a, a lesson that you have to keep teaching? So something that seems really basic, but turns out to often be at the root of a lot of challenges that I see on teams, particularly is roles and responsibility. Clearly defining roles and responsibility is one of those things that everybody thinks is a waste of time or they just do it once and then they're done with it. Right. Yeah. But a lot of times when you're dealing with either, you know, challenges in team dynamics or delivery or disruption or a lack of productivity on a team or in an area of the business. Often it's because there's some kind of misunderstanding or misalignment about what somebody's job is or whose job something is, right? And particularly as you're shifting into new into a new model, and there's there's often a, again a lot of assumptions that people make about like, oh, well this person does that job, the product manager should do that or you know what the engineering lead has always done that, why doesn't that person get to do it anymore? What is this product owner do versus the scrum master? What is, you know, who's scheduling the, the events and who's, um, who's managing all that? Who, how do we engage with stakeholders? So literally understanding what the roles and responsibilities are of each team member, and then coming to an agreement as a team about what your team values are, how you're going to operate, how you want to communicate, how you all agree to communicate with each other, how do you communicate with key stakeholders, and how do you get the, that kind of data that you need to do the to do the work? That's it's it's basic stuff. It's ta- but it's table stakes. And if you don't do it right, you have to do it over and over and over again. Yeah, one of the most effective teams I've ever been on was really good at that internal team communication, that constant checking in of like, how are we doing? Are we communicating well? Are we? Yeah. Are, are we clear about all of these important things? And they're always checking in on who's you know. Uh, Hey, you're supposed to be doing this. I'm supposed to be doing that. Let's make sure that we're really right. good. So as you're thinking about the work ahead of you, you've seen a lot of the patterns happen over and over and over again. At a certain point, you have to be getting a little bit of fatigue where you're like, oh, my God, this again. <laughs> so how do you stay resilient? How do you stay sort of engaged in this, knowing that this is important work? For me, it's just about the people. And so making connections with new people is actually what motivates me. I, yeah. um, I really enjoy working with other people who are passionate about getting it right. And so I think, you know, everybody's different. So I'm constantly meeting new people. I'm uh, connecting with them, understanding what their concerns are and understanding where they're coming from. And I think that that's what drives me. You didn't say it. So I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you've got like this orientation of I am here to help you and I'm here to not serve you, but I my experience can help you go from here to here. That's exactly right. And I think I, it's really easy to lose that. It is, but but again, like I'm kind of people driven. I've just always been, you know, sociable and um, and interested in other people, and and love to just connect. I love that human connection kind of idea. And so, again, it's like when I go. One of my favorite things about going into a new client is that I'm getting to meet new people and figure out what their, you know, what their needs are. Like, what are their pain points? How can I how can I help? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, that's got to be especially enjoyable if you actually like the people. Exactly. <laughs> but I bet you're such a pro, you can find a reason to see opportunity and an upside in, in every situation. Yes, and also the positive in everybody, right? I've worked on some really toxic teams. Everybody has. But finding the, the kind of the one thing about that person that you find impossible to work with that you actually really like about that person is kind of a nice, nice moment. And um, to try to remember that and to try to 
try to find the good or assume assume positive intent. Right, right, right. All right. So a wrap up question that we typically ask is what is one book or podcast that is non-work related that you recommend and why? Well, you know, podcast, the only podcast I listen to regularly is uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, you know, yep. the, the NPR quiz show. I've been listening to that for many, many years. Um, and, I, and I still do listen to it almost every week. But I would say books are probably much more important to me now. I'm trying to, I'm challenging myself to read a lot more. I would say a couple years back, I was probably barely reading a book a month. And now I'm reading... I don't know, maybe four or five books a month. Oh, wow. Fiction, nonfiction, or both? Both. Okay. both. And so, um, so I, you know, I kind of have three or four books going at the same time. And right now, I am planning a trip to Savannah. And so I am listening to the audiobook version of uh, John Barent's book, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, which. Yep. Brilliant, brilliant work of nonfiction, okay. but reads like fiction. Um, and I read it many years ago, and I've seen the movie a bunch of times. But this time, I wanted to listen to the audiobook version of it, and I'm I'm just entranced, and I'm so excited to to travel again. So wow. I'm really enjoying that. I'm glad you mentioned that because we're we're looking at Savannah next spring. So I might I might go get that. That'd be good. It's a it's a good one as a nonfiction writer. I as a, on my little side gig, I really enjoy just reading really well written stories that are that are real. That's awesome. Well, hey, Maura, thank you so much for doing this and sharing your knowledge. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Business Drivers presented by Farron. Find us at hellofarron.com to learn more about the work we do, sign up for our newsletter, and find articles and resources to help you grow as a leader. Or find us on Twitter at hellofarron or on LinkedIn. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend. It's the best way for us to grow our audience. We'd love to reach more people with the work that we're doing. And if you have ideas or advice or feedback or complaints, please reach out to us on Twitter or send us an email at bizdrivers at hellofarron.com. That's B-I-Z-D-R-I-V-E-R-S at hellofarron.com. Until next time, this is Jim Keen saying thanks.